0: Hello everyone and thanks for joining us here at Cloud Wars Live, where we explore customer-centric business innovation by speaking with the dynamic companies making and using the modern technologies that are profoundly changing how the world works, lives, plays, learns and dreams. Our guest today is Wayne Saden, who's been a CIO, CTO and CDO at multinationals ranging down from there to startups. Uh, I've met Wayne on LinkedIn and Twitter where he's a very interesting observer on things from digital transformation to the role of the C-suite as it evolves through a lot of these big ups and downs and the swings that are taking place as businesses change and technology changes and engagement changes. We hope to kick around the discussion on some of those topics today. So Wayne, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Hello, Bob, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: Wayne, one of the things I've noticed in your writing and also in a little bit of the discussion we had leading up to this was you wanted to talk some about how some of these issues involved in digital transformation and the related themes that go along with that have really moved up to become board-level topics. And if I could pick out a couple here, one is this notion that you mentioned about cybersecurity and perhaps even in the broader sense this notion of the disruption that is taking place as all these new technologies pour into the scene and you know, become part of mainstream life for everyone. Could you just share, you know, what, what are your thoughts about that from the board level folks and what they need to be thinking about?
1: Sure, Bob. As somebody that's worked with boards and served on boards for going on several decades now, the perception of the value of IT at the board level is changing. IT has moved from the back room to center stage it's permeating every facet of every business, whether it's customers, employees, partners, the technology itself, it's becoming a much bigger investment, a much bigger risk. And you mentioned cybersecurity, that's the risk that's well understood and well known. And it's also, and what I think is not quite so well known, a big opportunity let me explain for a second sure boards have been focused on cybersecurity since the very famous breaches whether we're talking sony or we're talking target these reach the level of board interest and board attention and so we all know about those but as a cio for 30 years i want to point out that that's not the only risk in it if you fail when putting in a new system the consequences for the customers and the company can be cataclysmic recently tsb bank in the uk was in the news They managed to mess up several times, apparently, uh, moved to a new system and customers couldn't get their balances. It got to the point where it's toppled the CEO of the bank and the reverberations haven't stopped. So if you're a board and you're talking IT and you think, let's talk cybersecurity, let's talk about, well, let's talk about a TSB type event, or even I'll pick a cloud related event, Microsoft San Antonio data center being struck by lightning. Yeah, affecting many, yeah. many customers for three, four, five, six days. So as a board, you'd better be focused on the broader question that if IT is running every part of your business and dealing with your customers in real time, what are you as the board doing to oversee the
0: aggregate risk of technology? And when these aren't, uh, these are, as you've described that, these are no longer the days in which you, uh, you know, most of the board says uh, sort of, shirks this and says, well, we, we've we picked the people on the board as a subcommittee, you know, we'll let them handle this. This is, this is a across the board, right, type of priority.
1: Oh, I agree completely, Bob. What's happened to us is old IT systems for the first, say, 40 years that the IT industry has been around. And by the way, IT as a discipline has been around over 60 years, which is hard for most people to believe. <laughs> right, for, right. For 40, 40 something years, We had what we called systems of record, keeping score, human resources, payroll, accounts receivable, accounts payable, ERP. We've moved in the last 10 years from systems of record to systems of engagement. Now the IT is in the face of the customer, in the face of the employee. You're dealing with a screen. You're dealing with a virtual reality or or augmented reality headset. You're dealing with internet of things where your car is being driven. So we can no longer say, well, if the IT goes down, that'll be okay will live without it. Because in point of fact, if it's flying your jetliner in the middle of surgery, you might not live without it. We have to recognize a new level of risk. But but it's not all bad because with that new level of risk comes a new level of opportunity. We can now do things with technology we couldn't do before.
0: And I think, Wayne, as you just phrased that there, the opportunity, it also, I think, it provides more of that sledgehammer notion to this idea that IT is somehow separate from the business. I, I've always winced when I've heard about that is, you know, our, our job in IT is to support the business and blah, blah, blah. I just think that's nuts, right? Because that implies that they're fragmented, they're, they're separate. And I think what you've just described here is, you know, IT is in the face of the customer. It is the backbone of the business today. Along those lines, Wayne, you had also talked about the impact of culture in IT. So a couple things. What, as a As a leader of an IT organization, a business technology organization, how do you put together the right sort of culture and why is that so important today? Well, let me
1: answer the question you raised initially, which was uh, about IT being separate from the business. Let's delve into that for a minute. Uh, To say that IT is separate from the business in 2018 is like saying, well, finance is separate from the business, so (laughs) let's lock all the accountants behind a card key door. Uh Uh, Yes, there are... Listen, I don't know all the phases and all the gap regulations and IFRS and all that arcana any more than I expect the people in the business to understand the nuances of one computer language or what I'm doing with the cloud. We all need specialists, whether they're marketing or finance or IT. We are no longer or should no longer be treated as those people over there. We need to be embedded in the business, working with the business, hand in hand with the business and delivering a common outcome, just like people in marketing, just like people in sales and just like people in finance. Now let's talk about the culture. I can't tell you the number of times that as a new CIO starting at a company, the tour started with, and your IT people are way away from everybody, so they're not bothered. Or I went to work for one company, they were building a new headquarters, and they said, we're going to put up the wall right here, and we're going to lock your people in the corner. And I said Mm -hmm. to the chairman of the company, he was taking me on a tour, I have a better idea. First of all, don't put the wall up. Second of all, where's the coffee room? I want to put IT in front of the coffee room for this building. Yeah yeah i want people walking through in fact my biggest success with i.t culture has been when i've co-located i.t in one shop i took sixty percent of the i.t people and put them right in the middle of the business departments the head of marketing when she looked out her office door she could see her marketing i.t team who were by the way picked to be high energy creative quick moving. Because one thing you have to recognize about IT, it's not the same across the company. If I'm building a new general ledger system, if I'm building a banking system, a TSB, I better be darn careful. Everything adds up correctly. And if I'm a month late, but it adds up correctly, I win. In marketing, let's say we're in marketing, the competitor puts out a new ad campaign today and marketing comes and says i need a website tomorrow morning that says this 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 and this do they want to go through 3 months of quality assurance for that <laughs> no but on the other hand if there's a typo you know what we'll fix it it's the web when when it adopts this one size fits all and let's have a meeting about it is when the business starts to say they don't get it they're not moving at the same speed with the same urgency so we and it have to change our thinking we're about the business we have to speak with the business, we have to work with the business. I don't want to say we have to become the business, that sounds pretty trite, but really we'll talk about this as we go as we're building more powerful tools. They're called generally low-code, no-code tools. We're empowering the business to be more IT-ish and so the the IT people should be more business-ish and we can all meet in the middle solving the problem together.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it, Wayne. And part of what you're saying there, I think, speaks to the fact that I think I'm also of an age or a vintage when, you know, I remember getting started in the business world. You'd hear companies talk about why well, I got a seven-year plan or a 10-year plan. And, you know, God bless them at the time, that was the right thing to do. But could you imagine you know, companies today thinking in terms of decades and, you know, well, we're 57 months into our seven-year plan and uh, so far uh, we've hadn't had to change anything. And Today's environment seems to be, as you were describing perhaps, you know, some of the marketing technology folks, it is constant change, constant adaptation, right? Because companies are putting the customer at the center and the customer's needs, interests, desires, whims are going to change. So, this thing about the, the pace of business I, I think is is so vital today. And so as you described these cultural imperatives that are coming up now, this CIO, CDO, CTO, you've got to be almost as much of a, you know, an inspirational leader. I don't mean a motivational rah-rah type, but you've got to have that culture, business first mentality with everybody and get folks thinking in an entirely different way and also at a different speed. Is, does that seem fair, Wayne?
1: All of the above. Yes. Um, In fact, I get a lot of grief by other CIOs because I've written many times that a CIO has to be a sales and marketing person, has to be a motivator, has to be an inspirational leader who can climb up on a chair and talk, has to be able to go on a sales call and close a deal. Even more important, has to be able to go to an angry customer and get yelled at like the (laughs) salespeople get yelled at. And in fact, as a CIO, I want to be doing that and I make my leadership team, we answer calls in the call center or at least listen in. We call on customers, we speak at the trade shows. Why? Because we need to understand what's happening. We need to get the pulse of the market. It's not okay to hear about it in the quarterly report that XYZ is up or something is down. Because as you say, the sense and response cycles have gotten so quick and the opportunities for disruption have become so numerous that it's a matter of either we're ready to digitally transform, which means we get to decide, or we're digitally disrupted, which means somebody else got to decide. Yeah, It's one or the other. It's just a question of whether our destiny is going to be shaped by us, or it's going to be shaped by a press release from a company nobody ever heard of three weeks ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very well said, Wayne. I I love this piece of research that you sent over where you were talking about the total amount of IT spend worldwide, the percent so far that's in the cloud, right? And It's just a tiny percentage so far, Wayne. And you were saying, you know, just imagine not very far out in the future when more of that total IT spend shifts from the traditional model over into the cloud. Could Talk a little bit about that, Wayne, and what you think the business benefits from that could be.
1: Yeah, Bob, I think that's how you and I met when you were writing about that the leaders that are obvious, and I'm doing air quotes, the obvious leaders may not be so obvious as this cloud story unfolds. And that resonated with me. And here's what I think. First of all, the numbers I saw, which came out of one of the big research companies, said 186 billion was cloud revenue out of 3.7 trillion spend on IT. So if you think about it, we're 5% through that story. And yeah. yet people are picking yeah. winners. It's like watching a marathon and they're one block into the race and you go, okay, that's the winner. <laughs> um, uh-huh. but, but let's talk about who's on the cloud right now. We don't, If you think about it, it's not a homogeneous slice of the whole world. Who moved to the cloud? There were digital natives, people that are startups and the only life they know is in the cloud. And they tend to move at their pace. They're small, they're nimble, they're risk takers. And they grew up over the last five or 10 years, with the cloud being part and parcel of their life. But the bulk of IT spending in the world are companies with eight-figure, nine-figure, maybe a 10-figure IT budget. You don't move a 40-year-old mainframe system that runs billions of transactions a day over to the cloud on a whim. The systems are incredibly complex. They are very old, which creates technical debt questions we, we might want to talk about. Yeah. But it means that there's a tremendous risk. So I'll I'll use this TSB as my example, just because it was in the news. Somebody in IT, a CIO or CDO or something, and the CEO and the board all said, this is a risk we should take. So here's what happened to them. They took this risk of moving to a new system, I'm sure for very good reasons. And the new system was going to give them all these benefits. Well, they fouled it up. They made the front page of The Economist. They're in the Wall Street Journal. The CEO lost his job. So all of a sudden, people that were going to retire one day, maybe in the next five years or so, given the age of most big company CIOs, CEOs, are with an untarnished reputation. And now they're yeah. kind of going out in shame, maybe giving up big bonuses, option vesting, and so on. So as yeah. a CEO, as a CIO, you're putting yourself at personal risk when you want to take your 30-year-old crown jewels legacy system and move it to the cloud. But at some point, the technical debt, and I'll define that in a second, the technical debt is going to be so heavy, such a millstone around the neck of the company that you're going to be forced to take action. And so we're going to force people, maybe not this generation, maybe the next generation that's more comfortable with that environment, but certainly sooner or later, whether it's customer pressure, investor pressure, or you get acquired because you're not moving enough. it's going to force
0: you to take action. Yeah, very true. You know, Wayne, as you were saying that, I thought about a couple CEOs of some of the biggest tech companies. And when uh, Ginny Rometty, the CEO of IBM, talks about the power of incumbency, right? And she's a big believer, as you've described it, in some of these big multinational corporations, provided that they're willing to move along at an appropriately aggressive pace without getting too far off the rails of it when they get that right to be able to take all of their historic capabilities and knowledge, turn that into a digital organization, it's going to be extremely powerful. And the other part of what you were describing, Wayne, is this has to happen at a certain pace. But as you described it, it's it's not something that can just be switched overnight. And Larry Ellison, the former CEO, now chairman at Oracle, has said this is going to be what he calls a decade of coexistence. So how do companies find that right balance between the cloud, their traditional on-premise systems, and how what's their migration path going forward? That strategy of how you move, when you move, why you move, and what the outcomes of that are, are is going to be a big determinant in, as you said, who are going to be the big winners in various industries based on how well they have navigated this move into the cloud.
1: Well, that's quite a question. Let me see if I can decompose it a bit. Uh, sure. First, IBM. two-word answer. Yes. Soon. Okay. So, the, the notion of incumbency is interesting. You know, I've been an IBM customer quite literally since I was in high school. Um, when uh-huh. I went to high school in New York, we had one of the first computers in New York City. And so I literally went down to 59 Maiden Lane as a high school student and picked up wow. a computer. And <laughs> I remember, and I worked on Wall Street, so they were my branch. Yeah. And I remember the transition. I'm old enough to remember the transition to MBS, to DB2, you know, things like that. The wrenching transitions, not only within the companies using this technology, but IBM itself. And then they went through it again, sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully, when they moved into services. And here they are again, trying to remake themselves on cloud, on the promise of Watson and AI, on new technology again. How many times is this they're reinventing themselves? And kudos to them. They've had a a rocky bunch of quarters. They're getting bad press on Watson, which is so undeserved. It's nothing to do with the technology. It's often to do with the culture of the customer. But still, they are doing something that they need to do. And here's what I mean. When you try to do a digital transformation, which IBM is doing, and I think Oracle is doing as well, Microsoft is doing it in addition. You've got to start with the top. So let's go back to the board for a minute. We talked about all this risk, whether it's cyber or other IT risk, but let's talk about the opportunity side. The opportunity to transform your company requires the board and the CEO to be engaged. It's about culture. It's about changing the company to say, whatever we had before isn't necessarily good. It's not always bad, but it's not necessarily good just because it got us there. Right. We've got to make the change. And so what Rometty and clearly her board are saying, we're willing to invest time and the money and the publicity in making this change. And I say, Microsoft is certainly going through it. Oracle is going through it. These are companies where the executive leadership, the founder, chairman, chairwoman, CEO, board, are engaged in making these companies a different company at the end of the process. And so that's number one. And uh, as a footnote, when companies that are not tech companies, the, the end users of this tech, have to do the same change, they're missing an element in many cases. They're missing somebody on the board who has that technical background. So I'm going to digress for a second. Sarbanes-Oxley, which came about because of some financial irregularities, mandated a QFE, a qualified financial expert, be added to boards. And what Sarbanes-Oxley said was somebody had to be able to read the financials. It was not okay to be a country club board. And so the QFE came on, audit committees added them, and the level of financial awareness of the board went way up. We're going through the same thing now 20-something years later in technology. Where are the QTEs, the qualified technology experts, who can sit on a board and say, we're missing an opportunity? What are we doing about AR? Um, what are we doing about a risk of cybersecurity that the rest of the board just doesn't have that background to do? So if you're an IBM or an Oracle or a Microsoft, you have the tech background, of course. If you're not, if you're a bank or a transportation company, hospitality company, how do you get that skill and have it available to the board at all times? And my argument is board should be out shopping for former CIOs, chief digital officers, maybe a CISO if they're in a security-related business, but adding a QT to the board. Now that you've got the will and the commitment at the executive level, you've got to be figuring out what you want to be at the end of this. And by the way, recognize it's not an end, it's it's the next end. It's the iteration. <laughs> right. What are we going to be next week? What are we going to be next year? Where are our customers taking us? Yeah. And so that's the challenge, and that's where the CIO has to get involved. What are our capabilities? Okay, the board wants to do X. Now what are we able to do? Because we can't just assume we can do anything we want by waving our magic wand or even writing a check it organization is still mired in legacy speed and everything goes through 14 committees and has a 700 page spec with and the architecture committee meets twice a year you're going to have a problem you're going to solve it either by dumping the it department going outside or rebuilding the it department they're both acceptable strategies if you're the ceo as a cio i know which one i'd prefer so what does it have to do now to keep up or what does it have to do Get ready. My argument is IT's got to get away from the traditional waterfall model. Send me your specs, we'll write the report, they'll approve it, and we'll start coding. And two years from now, you'll have what you need. They've got to move to an environment that involves agile. DevOps, cloud, and low-code, no-code, the four, I guess, four pillars that make an IT transformation. You've got to be moving to an agile model which says, I can build things in smaller pieces. I can accept requirements that are not quite so settled because we'll figure it out as we go. Not okay for everything. I don't want to build my general ledger that way, Right, but I think I can build a customer-facing system that solves a problem we've never seen before. The, the backside of agile is DevOps. Traditionally, IBM has had a development group and an ops group, and maybe a security group at odds with each other. Dev was about change; their their goal was to make it different. Ops was about stability; their goal was to make it not different. And security's job was to be mad at the other two all the time. And so we've got to get <laughs> right. those three groups together, and we've got to say we're DevOps or DevSecOps is the sexy say it and instead of having three groups at odds we're going to have one group delivering the programming the design testing and the implementation and the support and that's a big change in it and people underestimate that i'll just switch to devops remember you've got a senior vp of dev and a senior vp of ops and maybe a senior vp of security and one of audit and all of a sudden you've said wait a minute we're going to one department that means three out of the four people have a different job this is done and like every reorganization everybody protects their turf So CIOs and even their CEO bosses have to recognize that this is a cataclysmic change for people's careers, for people's identity. If you're in IT operations, you're very regimented. It's gotta work the same way. If you're in development, you're always mad at those people. They're always telling me no. If you're in operations looking at dev, you're saying they're always screwing things up. And so how do we get them to understand each other and work together? And that's a huge culture change for IT. And then how do we automate the process so that as much as we can, We've taken time out of the process so when we make a decision to make a change the change goes it's tested and goes in as close to instantaneously as possible because we don't want to sacrifice quality for features or features for time and so that's the big culture change in i.t now that that's how we change the culture and the structure now cloud why, why cloud cloud is not just piling up computer stuff over there when you talk hyperscale cloud and bob the only cloud worth talking about is hyperscale having somebody build a colo data center and put equipment and say, I'm running a cloud is just fooling yourself or fooling your investors or fooling your board. That is not like buying what you're buying from Amazon, Microsoft, Oracle, IBM, Google. They are delivering a fundamentally different service because you can turn on and off services instantly. I'll give you a quick example. 10 years ago, I had to build an AI system in financial services. We thought we'd make a bunch of money and change the customer experience and it was worth doing. Before I could put the first test case through that system, I had six figures worth of hardware, I had six figures worth of software, and I had six months of ordering equipment, finding room for it in the data center, racking and stacking it, installing everything, getting all the incompatibilities worked out. Now, finally, we could start building the model and testing. Recently, I had a client that said, hey, I want to try this ML stuff, this machine learning stuff. So I went to the Microsoft Azure control panel and I went, click. And it would have been $4, except I got a month free. So it was zero and I got it running in 20 minutes. Yeah. So Think about it. If I'm a Fortune 10 company, I've got an AI group and I've got spare servers and probably spare data centers. But if you're anybody below that level, it is a major investment. If AI or ML or whatever you're doing, IoT is going to make the difference, you have to make a big upfront commitment of time and money and specialists. With Hyperscale Cloud, they make that investment. And all I do is flip the switch, click. And if I don't like the Microsoft solution, I can go try the Google solution where I can go try the Amazon solution. And I can use the power of three multi tens of billion dollars investments for my little company at any size, almost instantly and almost free. It's a terrific way to be using very, very high technology in almost any size
0: company. Yeah, Wayne, that was, uh, you know, first, great thoughts in there. Thank you for those and the the perspectives on a, a range of things. But I think what you just got to there at the end, that these incredibly powerful highly transformative and truly customer-centric types of technologies they're not they're no longer just the province of the biggest guys you've mentioned fortune 10 or fortune 50 right that these are things that are now via the cloud going to be fully in the hands of small and medium-sized businesses and that's one of those things that i think is so intriguing about uh, today's business environment because this constant innovation and doing things a new way, a better way, a different way in any industry are often driven by these smaller companies, right? The disruptive ones coming up from underneath. And now they're going to have a lot of these tools behind them, as you've just described, to be able to drive further new types of value, further stages in you know this relentless innovation across all types of businesses. And that's, I think, one of those things that digital transformation, Wayne, I think sometimes we forget that you know that isn't something that just dropped out of the sky and companies are trying to go through this digital transformation because there's a couple billion people around the world that are eager to live more increasingly digital or digitally enhanced lifestyles so this is this is not a fad right it's it's not going to go away and for companies both big and small they got to have these tools. And as you just said, the cloud really seems to be the ideal platform for delivering that.
1: You're absolutely right. It works like this. If, if I'm a big company, I could use my size, my ability to invest as a barrier to entry. So somebody wants to compete with me and I've got 50 million bucks worth of software or 100 million bucks worth of software that makes my platform work better. Now somebody's got to figure out a way to end run that. Or yeah. They've got to find the investment capital to beat me head on. That's no longer the case. I can turn on an Oracle suite in hours. I can turn on a Microsoft Dynamics suite in hours and for very small upfront costs. So whatever advantage the big company had by having that big ERP, I've negated. or The cloud provider has negated. If I want to turn on machine learning or Internet of Things or any other disruptive technology, I can go to one of the cloud providers or yeah. more than one and turn it on and be using it. And so now if I'm a big company, I'm at a disadvantage. Because my bureaucracy, my size, my my need to protect that installed base is a problem. I'm dragging that along with me, and the the newcomers don't have to deal with that. They may want to have a conversion or an on-ramp to their new way of doing it, but they don't have to serve the customer that they've served, that I've served for 30 years. And and they're also, I want to come back to technical debt for a minute, because I think it's a serious issue, and boards need to understand it and don't. When I build systems, or when I buy systems... I've made an investment up front in that capability. People think my computer turns on in the morning, therefore it's fine. Well, if you're running a 10 year old machine running Windows XP, even though it turns on in the morning and still opens a browser window, you as a board member are not fine because there's no longer any security patches, there's no longer any updates being done. And so, Go back to think about WannaCry a little more than a year ago. You look at the way companies were affected. The majority of companies that were affected were in places where they run a lot of bootleg old copies of XP, where they were industries that traditionally were laggards. And so they weren't keeping up their investment in their technology. And while WannaCry wasn't catastrophic for most victims, the payload could have been catastrophic. It should have been an eye-opener. So when you look at technical debt and you see that an airline or a hospital has been down for a day or two because they usually say electrical panel. That's, in my view, nonsense. The electrical panel might, might have been the precipitating event, Yes. but there was something in the brittleness of their software and hardware yeah. that meant that fixing it took them an inordinately long time. And so as a board, an important question to ask your technical people is, what is our technical debt? If I'm putting in the Oracle product or the SAP product, I want to pick in an, any vendor, and I don't do the maintenance to it and I'm 10 years behind, and maybe at the same time, I've had my IT staff customize the heck out of it. Now I've got $200 million worth of customization, and I'm eight releases behind on my ERP. And now the board comes and says, we need this new customer-facing capability to meet our competition. I need that added. And you go to them, well, it's going to be a $500 million project because I need to rehang the ERP. Right? You laugh. I know at least one company in my city that is that went through that. And well, I had to say five years before we could
0: be better. Yeah, Wayne, I, I'm laughing not at the question. You see this come up, but so often it's one of those things like, you know, the board this says, well, we don't have $500 million. Well, okay, then what's our alternative? Mm-hmm. Okay, you, you know, you ride that slow spiral uh, into irrelevance. and But that's I think, goes back to a number of the things you've said today, the importance of culture, the board-level awareness, The recognition of the technical debt that you've described here, the recognition that while something is working okay now, that doesn't mean that it's the best for where your business needs to be in 12 or 18 or 24 months. So I think what you've really done here today very nicely is raised a lot of flags for people to think about good enough. In today's economy, I don't think anymore is going to be good enough uh, unless you've got the customer at the center of everything you're doing, which is at the heart of so many digital transformation strategies. It's it's just not going to cut it. Wayne, we're about bumping up on the end of our time here. Is there anything, any particular topic you wanted to take a last shot at here?
1: I do. Uh, I want to send a message to CEOs and boards since yep. this is a great pulpit for that. The message is a company gets the IT they settle for, the CIO they settle for. And if your CIO is not able to have this conversation with people on the board, with customers, with the media, with analysts, with investors, you got the wrong CIO. And if your CIO is not at the same time versed in finance, able to keep up with the disruptive technology, able to sell an idea, able to listen to the team, able to go represent the company. You've made a bad choice and you no longer can get away with having inadequate IT departments and inadequate IT leaders in a world that's being disrupted and a world that needs transformation. So that's not on the CIO. They're doing the job you probably hired them and trained them to do. It's on the CEO and on the board who has to have the right
0: people in the right chairs. Great thoughts, Wayne. Thanks very much. That That's a really good high level view. And I'm glad you addressed that to the CEOs, right? The board has to be intimately involved in technology strategy, technology vision, and, and all the implications that has across the committee. The CEO as well for all of these things, it, it's got to be. And I'm always puzzled when companies say, "Well, you have a someone other than the CEO leading the digital transformation effort or driving it." And I, I think that, of course, you know, the CEO can't do all the actual work, but it's got to be in every case the CEO that leads these things, or they're just too big, too vital, too sweeping, and too disruptive for the CEO not to be in that chair on it. So, Wayne, again, thank you. you you've been terrific. It's been a great conversation and. Thanks so much for your time and insights. It's my pleasure,
1: Bob. I do want to, if I have another minute with you, I do want to mention my opinion about that CEO and digital transformation. If your CEO is not leading the digital transformation, you can call it whatever you want, but it's not a digital transformation, especially if your CIO is leading. A digital transformation starts with culture, products, markets, customer experience, employee experience and so on, and then leads to what can we do with technology. If we are just, what do they say, paving the cow path, I refer to it as better, faster, cheaper in one long breath. If all we're doing is better, faster, cheaper, we are doing digital optimization. And I'm gonna give you a name because the guy I heard it from is a a CEO named Charlie Langdon and he's somebody you should reach out to to get the CEO's perspective. Charlie is who taught me the difference. He's been through both. And so as a CIO, I rail against the notion that we can pretend that better, faster, cheaper is a digital transformation and that the CEO can just say to the CIO, hey, you do it. There's a partnership needed and an incompetent CIO can derail a transformation, no doubt. But even the best CIO in a typical company is not going to lead a cultural transformation A decision about what markets to enter and what markets to leave, acquisitions and divestitures and so on. Those are decisions that
0: need to be made at the CEO board level. No doubt, Wayne. That's a a critical point. And uh, thanks for adding that in. I think that, you know, in some ways, what you're describing there, it's, you know, like putting a fancy front end on something that is still Mm -hmm. brittle and unsuitable for the future in the back. But, Wayne, again, it's been a great conversation. And thanks a million for your time and, and great insights. And also many thanks to all of you listeners for joining us here on Cloud Wars Live, where we explore the unfolding adventures of digital transformation and cloud computing, and how those are profoundly changing how we live, work, play, learn, and experience the world. I hope you'll join us for other episodes of Cloud Wars Live, and please share your feedback with me at bobevanspa at gmail.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.